Geekish Chaos, episode 114, Tracy Comic-Con, the wrap-up. episode 114 we just got back from uh doing the tracy comic con slash reptile show in tracy california a few days ahead of time uh morgan one of the people putting the show on called me up and asked me if i'd mind hosting some of the panels having never done so uh, i kind of jumped at the opportunity without really thinking much about it but it turned out to be a really cool experience for me, and I'm hoping everybody enjoyed it. Some of the people that you're going to hear from now, I'm going to play the panels that I recorded. The first one's Dave Woodman. He worked at Disney uh, when they did The Little Mermaid, and he was one of the chief artists who drew Ursula. After that is Margaret Carey. Uh, she has been, oh, she's on Our Gang. She was the original life model for Tinkerbell on Peter Pan. She knew the Stooges. She was on The Lone Ranger. She was one of the voices on Clutch Cargo. Really an amazing woman. And I have a little story for you guys about my encounter with her when this gets done. So stick around to the end for that. We will also talk to two of the Power Rangers, Rocky and Aisha, the Red and Yellow Rangers. Uh, then after that, Magda Apinovich from uh, Continuum and Kyle XY. And then a couple guys I found or a couple kids I found doing a comic book, and they're called Algorithm Comics. I really like some of their concepts. I wanted to talk to them for a minute. Some of the stuff I'm not including is the reptile show. Um, it just didn't work without the visuals. So sit back, check out these interviews, and then stick around a little bit at the end for my Tinkerbell story. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Dave Woodman. So Dave is here. He lives in Palm Springs, and he's here all the way from Palm Springs to join us. And I'm sure a lot of you have questions after viewing that video. Can you see how vast his career is? So one of the questions I have for Dave is, uh, how did you first get started being an artist? Being an artist, I used to go to church with my folks, and I was so bored, I would draw on the programs. <laughs> they were Mormons. They went to the church all the time, so I got really good. <laughs> and then what was your first big break what was the first big project that you remember ah uh, I don't know a big project that I remember Little Mermaid I think would be considered big I agree and big applause for Little Mermaid yes she's the best girl you know uh, I love this girl thank you Dave. thank you Dave so now um, a next question what was it like working with Disney that's a big loaded question, right? Oh, it was uh, it was really oh. thank you. Turn it up, Brennan. Um, it's, it's there. Is this on? No. Yes. Yes. What was it like? It was really, really hard and really, really worth it. Um, a lot of overtime, a lot of running behind for I, I remember on Beauty and the Beast it was very difficult because we were always behind and we had lots and lots of overtime to to do and um, a lot of us were thinking not going to make it, but it did. It 
It always worked out that things were released on time. In fact, Little Mermaid, and the Little Mermaid, they, they, they had to get it done. They had to release it on time. So they, for, 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 for example, the, the scene where fish swim around her hair and it goes up, there used to be a whole bunch of fish that swam around, and they cut it back to a few. And when she comes out of the water and she suddenly has a dress on, that was supposed to be made out of sea foam, but we didn't have time to do it. So that's some of the, some of the things that, that happen to get it done on time. Very important to get things done on time. I, I'd, I'd rather be involved with people who were able to get things done on time than be so concerned about making it perfect. Awesome. Well, we're honored to, to have the Geekish cast here today. This is Jeremy, and I know he has some questions he has. There's a microphone for you right there, Jeremy. Let's bring on Jeremy with Geekish cast. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm going to step on this side. Hey, Dave, hey there. How you doing? Doing good. Oh, that's good. You actually worked at a company called Filmation. Yeah. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your time there? That was the best job I ever had, ever. It was... We didn't realize it that, that um, it was nice to have a 40-hour week and not overtime. It was reliable. Um, we would have the 40 hours, and then they would call us in to promote us and give us raises. They would just call us in. We didn't have to fight for it. It was really nice. That's I wish I'd known that, that that would be the most comfortable job ever. And I, when we were working on He-Man... A lot of us were embarrassed because we thought, this is so ugly, nobody's going to like it. These colors are so bad. I mean, we, we, we compared it to Disney all the time, and it just wasn't Disney. But what I didn't realize at the time is it was getting out to the kids, and it was making a difference. It was uh, teaching morals, and I love that. I think as many people are impressed with He-Man as Disney. I think you're correct, especially people just a few younger than my years younger than myself. My younger brother are just out, you know, still talk about that cartoon. I'm so glad. Um, but then you also, when you worked at Disney, was a really interesting time period where they almost got rid of animation. Oh yeah. So why don't you we tell were us a little bit about that time? Well, um, when we worked on Little Mermaid, it was a it was a big test. The only reason they greenlit Little Mermaid is because well, not, probably not the only reason, but a big reason is because Roger Rabbit had just done well, and they thought this is great. Um, after Oliver and Company, it was kind of settling down, and um, they moved they they had moved all of the animators off the lot and into warehouses, and um, we were just working people like you, and we just went to work and did our drawings and. Um, we knew how important it was for things to succeed, but we also, at the same time, we could feel how good The Little Mermaid was. We knew it. I mean, they'd take us in once in a while and show us an update of, uh, of what, what had been done, a rough cut, rough reel, and um, there was a real, real excitement, a real buzz. So even though we were under the gun and had to be accountable for every pencil and everything like that, when it went on the studio, they had a much more lax... Environment. It was. They were established, and they were like the nine old men. It was. It was. It wasn't. They had gone through the period where they had to worry. We were. We were. We were going through the period where we had to worry and make sure that we did our best and make sure that the public bought it. So was that added pressure? I mean, did you? Do you think that having that pressure on you made you guys perform better, or do you think it was more detrimental? I think we were aware of it. 
And probably it made us perform better, but what really made us perform best is most of us wanted to be Disney animators since we were little kids. And we got there and we couldn't believe it. So that's why if they wanted 10 hours a day, yeah. We, we, we were so excited and we just wanted to... We, we did want to make it work out of the love to keep it going. And then my last question for you that I would personally have, is there a specific cartoon or character that you want to work on before you just give it up and move on to being a plumber or retiring somewhere? Oh, you know, Bugs Bunny comes to mind. I've never done Bugs Bunny. I got to do Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, Donald. Um, I got to work on Cruella DeVille, which I really wanted to work on. I mean, I, I could, it was impossible for me to work on Cruella DeVille because the film was made before, before I was available, when I was a little kid. I think maybe even before I was born. What, do you remember the year for that? I'll stop my head. I think it's 59, and that's the year before I was born. But anyway, so um, I, when they got the television unit, I remember I was at Filmation when they got their television unit, and I, and I said um, to one of my coworkers, I said, is there a way, I, I, th- I think now they can use their movie characters for the TV shows. And she said, oh, no, no, they were designed for movies. But I, I sensed it coming on. And then uh, because people knew how good I, w- how I was into Cruella DeVille and just loved her, and, and um, I was friends with Betty Lou Gerson, who did the voice of Cruella DeVille. I used to hang out with her. So people knew how I felt, and that's why I was brought on to work on 101 Dalmatians. So I got to design her costumes. Well, that, that actually must have been Imagine. really cool. Yeah. That was way cool. Yeah. Um, you know what I, I didn't ask, and I probably should have. Um, when did you start with Filmation? And was that your first oh, the animation year, um, job? I started with She-Ra. Oh, okay. What would that have been, 85? Oh, yeah, but I, I, I don't, I'm okay. sorry, I don't remember. Okay. Before, I, I had one job before that, the last three years. It was uh, a movie called Star Chaser that nobody's ever seen. It was in 3D, and it was... A, it was you know, <laughs> like Star Chaser... Hey, I want to show you. I want to show you this costume. Look at this. Get on up. The Ghostbusters. And speaking of which, tell them about Tracy. Tracy, what? What about Tracy? Tracy with Ghostbusters. The, the oh, Tracy. Yes. I worked on the Ghostbusters. Yes. Tracy, the the gorilla. Yes. And we're in Tracy now. How about yeah. that? <laughs> are you, Are you just here for the convention today? Yes. Yeah. Well, I have to, I have a painting to do, and then I'm going to hightail it to Los Angeles to turn in my painting, and then I go to a convention in uh, Palm Springs, another Comic Con. So you got a pretty busy schedule. Yeah, it's good. And then Thanksgiving with my mom. Yay! And by the way, his mom, she's ninety. Ninety. Ninety years she's old. 90. She's so wonderful. I love her. Really fast, Slimer would love to give you a high five, Dave. There we go. Right. Right on. <laughs> Thank you, Slimer, for being here. Give Slimer a round of applause, too. Thank you, Slimer. Sorry about that. Okay. Is that it? Oh, I, I'd no. love to. You know what? Now, I would now love to draw you. we allow you to ask oh, questions. Okay, I'm sure you have questions. Please I'd ask like away. That. Yes. How has the uh, advent of things like Pixar with very digitalized animation most people who did my work don't aren't in animation anymore because we were doing the hand drawn. Yeah, I was. It was. It was a. It was a very quick takeover. I'm glad I never got ticked off about it. I'm thinking, well, this is it. I mean, they were. They make good movies. I love Tangled. Um, how can you argue with that? So, anyway, I think. Very few. Um, because 
when p computers came in, it, it happened so quickly that they would take over, and um, the kids who were in college learned computer while we were working 10 hours a day on the drawing. I mean, um, I, I bought a computer real fast, and, and I love the computer, but I, I couldn't transfer over so fast because you have to know the terms to look up. Even to do something, you have to look over the ter up the terms. And um, even if I, I love flash animation, which is gone now too, but um, computer is a, definitely a great tool. I do more of the hand-drawn stuff, and um, that's my generation. If I, if I get to work in, in computer animation, that's fine. I love it. Whatever works. Welcome. Any more questions? Hey, what? what? Love your work, Mr. Whatman. <laughs> Thank you. What was going through your mind when you were animating Mickey Mouse? Impact oh, such an I thought this is the best. This is it made an impression. It did. I was so glad. I mean, I knew at the time. I get to I get to draw Mickey Mouse for the movies, and um, I don't. There must have been some done since then. I'm, yeah, they do Mickey Mouse now. But at that time, when we made the Prince and the Pauper, the buzz around the studio was that we were making it because. It had been 60 years, and uh, they weren't going to take a chance that, that the Mickey Mouse character would become public domain. And back then, the law was, what I remember was the law was that after 60 years, a character would come, become public domain, and they used it again so that they would extend that, because they weren't going to let Mickey Mouse become public, public domain. And um, that's why we made The Prince and the Pauper. So it was just luck again. I mean, happy luck. I got to work on Cruella de Vil and Mickey Mouse. Um, I was assigned to the Goofy unit, <laughs> which I love. Um, that's a big. Look into the jobs that are available, and just uh, you could. You know what? What's really great about anima computer animation is you can do it all by yourself. I mean, you can do the, your own background. You can do your own characters and animation, and um, I like that I can do that. You don't have to depend on anybody. So I would just make films. Just get started. Just, just you know, even if you make stupid little ones, maybe that's what they want. You never know. You never know if you. I remember when I worked on. I did. I, I uh, sculpted The Simpsons, and that was such a big deal that they were such odd characters. But look how huge that was. There are no rules. So. I just get in there and get started. I, that's my advice to anyone who wants to get involved in anything. Get started. Do your own. Just do it. You, learn yourself. Because you know what? Even w while you're learning, without even being taught, you could figure something out that nobody else figured out yet. Or a better way to do it, just because you haven't been told how. Hey. What was your favorite movie to work on? Ah, uh, well... Uh, let's, let's, let's break it in two because I loved working on Cats Don't Dance that was wonderful because I was, had a very responsible position I, uh, I got to design caricatures of like Betty Davis and, and uh, W.C. Fields Cary Grant I got to design all the caricatures and I got to do every drawing of the movie stars in the film and that was really special to me because that's, that's what I, one of the things I love to do most in fact I hope you'll come and have me draw you because I do a good job one of the things I, want, I love to do most is caricatures, and I got to animate them in the film. And um, it was a real good environment. We all got along. There were, it was um, 
some, in some studios, there's a lot of competition. There wasn't so much of that. I noticed that we just came to work and did our jobs, and, and it was very peaceful in that area. Um, my favorite Disney movie would be Aladdin, because I just love it. Um, as far as working on it, I don't remember any real challenges with Aladdin. I remember the hardest one for me was um, Beauty, Beauty and the Beast, because we were always behind, and there was always such pressure. And plus, I was in love with the original story, and they changed it so much. I thought, what the hell is this? What's this buffalo thing? Why is she, why is she a mousy brown hair girl? Anyway, um, but I was wrong. See, I, even, even, even as much as I really didn't really... Give me a chance. I didn't really like that movie when it was released. I thought, but I was wrong. And it got an Academy Award nomination for, it was the first animated film to get nominated for Best Picture, which was huge. And now I love it. It's been time enough. I think, I think what really turned me kind of was, um, I think what turned me off about it was when I was working on it, it was so hard all the time. Hey, what is that? Can we, tell me what that is. I'm just curious. Cool. Okay. Hi, yes. How much, how much did you draw? I, uh, I drew more drawings of Ursula the Sea Witch than anybody else. And the reason I can say that is every time I turned in my work, they told me, oh, Dave, yours is always, you always get finished faster than anybody else, and yours is always right. So I thought, wow, I, 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 that's why I say I did more final line drawings of Ursula. So um, I worked on Ursula, I worked on Sebastian, I worked on, on uh, Flounder when he says, poor Ariel, I got to work on that. When I, when I first went to work on that movie, I wanted to work on a seagull because I love, my, my, my favorite movie is It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And Buddy Hackett, who does the voice of the, sig- of, of the, uh, of the seagull, later, <laughs> was, it, was in that movie. Anyway, and... Um, so I wanted to work on, on that one, but they assigned me to work on Ursula, and I worked on all the characters except for the chef. Hey there, what? Oh, I thought you were <laughs> He was a shoe and a fly. Okay, what? On the subject of caricatures, I don't think as many people know that you've been endorsed by the great Al Hirschfeld. Do you think anybody knows who that is? <laughs> Al Hirschfeld. Does anybody know who that is? Okay, enlighten them. Me? Oh, he worked for um, he worked for the New York Times. He got to be almost a hundred years old. I got to go to his 90th birthday party. How would you know him? Broadway shows. He does a lot, does a lot of caricatures of Broadway shows. You used to see his work everywhere in all the periodicals. He was big, but if you don't know him, that's if I showed you a picture and said Al Hirschfeld did this, you might say. Oh, yeah, black and white, black and white, sleek drawings of, of movie stars for Broadway shows. And he sent Dave a beautiful letter. One of the other things I want to bring up is your dear friend, Lucille Ball, one of my special friends that I wish I had met and I oh. never did. But she's my friend whether she ever knew it or not. Um, are you interested in um, telling any stories about her? About her? I'll tell one. Okay. Really? All right. I'll tell any. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, she was doing her last show, which was called Life with Lucy, and it, was, it wasn't doing well, and I felt really bad for her. I was working at Filmation at the time, and um, 
I just decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something for her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a drawing. I'm going to do a painting and make it really nice because I've always loved her and she's not doing well and that's, that's when I do my best with people, when I can be helpful. So um, I did a, a nice painting and I gave it to my friend who worked on the show and he gave it to her. And um, the next week when I came to the show... He said, she wants to meet you. I'm like, mm, really? Mm. So I came back, and she came out of her dressing room. Do you know who Lucille Ball is? Okay, she came out of her dressing room, and she was all beautiful. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, what do you say to her? And um, she said, I wanted to thank you for your nice, nice portrait you did of me. And she had it hanging on her dressing room wall. And um, I said, I was... <laughs> I said... You're pretty. <laughs> what are you gonna say? She looked so pretty, and she said, "Not as pretty as your picture." And I didn't. You know, I was just, just dumbfounded because she was so grand and wonderful, and everybody loved her. And I never was disappointed with her. And I saw her around many, many times. She was always in control and always uh, just a good feeling about her. So then um, she said, "Oh, those." I was holding a card that they gave out a card for uh, a postcard of the cast with fake signatures on it I was holding one of those cards and, and she said oh, those are nice aren't they I said oh yes they are thank you so much I didn't realize till later she was saying don't you want me to sign that for you <laughs> but I didn't I was, I was happy that she just talked to me so there you go and that shows you the example of how humble this man uh, is he's so humble about how good he is but I want to tell you what I gave her because I love yeah. her okay now okay I, I, I hiked down the mountain from where uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world, my favorite movie. They crashed a car off the cliff in the beginning, and I hiked down the mountain, and I found pieces of the car in Palm Springs. So I made, I made jewelry out of it, and that's what this is. I have a piece of the car from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. How Around cool her is that? neck. Around my neck. And he has more jewelry where you, where you will see him over on, in the main expo building. So we hope that you'll go visit and have him draw you a caricature of you. This is my friend Dave. Oh, Dave, stand up. Stand up, Dave. I I, I learned to be an artist with Dave when we were kids. We went to BYU Summer Art Workshop. Welcome, Dave. We've been friends ever since. And Chin, his wife. Hi. Hi. Even back then, Dave Whitman was the prodigy of the group. Aww. I'll have to look up Prodigy when I get home, see what that means. Thank you. So, are there any more questions? That's it? No. Well, make sure Dave tell. Oh, hey, we have another one over here. Oh. Hey there. When you were at Disney, yeah. did you get the chance to work for me? With Roy and Jeffrey Kassenberger, because at that point, wasn't that when they were? Oh, they were really supporting versus Eisner. Kind of. We'll see how this goes with animation. Did I get to meet with them? Not really. They had, they were corporate. They were, they did they did their part. I uh, I did the drawings. I mean, while they, while all that was going on, we were down doing the drawings, finishing the film. So, um, did I meet with them? No. Well, they were around. They were. They were around when, when Jeffrey came to work there. He went. He made sure he went around and shook hands with everybody. Um, I, I remember that Roy was everybody's friend. It was. It would be. It would be very easy for me to talk to them, easy access. But I never did. I was working. You guys felt real supported by those two. Yes, by by uh, by Roy and Jeffrey. By Roy especially. Yeah. Thanks for asking. They've named it. You know, they've named the new animation building after him. Yeah. So, Good. He deserved it. Yeah. Oh, I was. I was. 
I'm so glad. I knew I, I knew I wanted to work for Disney since I was. Did I know? I knew I wanted to work for Disney since I was hanging out with Dave. And then um, when I went out to Hollywood, there was really no animation. It was when I got my first job on this Star Chaser thing. The, uh, the the boss said, "I don't know why you want a job in animation. It's a dying art, but you're hired." And then and then for 20 years, I got 20 good years out of it. So just like magic. And now, Dave. Oh, one more question. No, <laughs> but that's magic. I mean, I mean that I'm here and people came to see me talk. Really, um, that's nice. I love it. It. it thank you. It'll, uh, what I love is the stuff that I worked on will follow me all my life. In fact, when I'm when I'm dead as hell, kids in hospitals will be watching the films I worked on. I like that. Before you go, before you go, please tell everyone how they can find you on the internet and and beyond. Okay, well, um, you can find my sh- my store on Etsy. If you go to Etsy and look for Dave Woodman Art, if you in search Dave Woodman Art, one word. Hopefully, that's easy enough to remember. Yeah, and make sure you visit him today at his yeah, booth. Yeah, I'd rather you just come and see me. And make sure you order a camera. I'm over there in the corner. Yes. This corner. Well, Dave, thank you so much. Everyone, please, another big round of applause for Dave Woodman. Thank you. Thank you so much for gracing us with your presence. We love you. Thank you, Dave. I'm going to go look up that word now. All right, he's going to go look up the word prodigy. to be here. As a matter of fact, I have been in show business for so long that I remember, I'm a dancer, you'll see in a few minutes, it's a little video that we have. I've been a dancer since I'm four, been in the business since I'm four, and people used to say, my, isn't she amazing for her age? I'm 87 now, and they look at me and they say, my, isn't she amazing for her age? So, so, now, I'm going to let the whole thing be run by... Ju- Go ahead. It's, it's quite all right. I forget right. my own name sometimes. It's okay. All right. You thought I couldn't do that. I wasn't sure I could do it. <laughs> so, Margaret, I think I'd just kind of like to do a retrospective of your career. I mean, you said you started in show business and dancing when you were four. 
What do you remember the thought process? Why you wanted to dance? What about show business that caught your eye? Well, I have had a pixie dusted life. I really have. The name of my new book is Tinkerbell Talks. Because remember in the movie, isn't that clever? In the movie, she didn't talk, and Peter Pan. So it's called Tinkerbell Talks Tales of a Pixie Dusted Life. And let me tell you why. Uh, I was adopted when I was three and a half. I caused the depression. (laughs) You laugh, but I was born in 1929, and everything went right downhill from there. So uh, at three and a half, uh, I was adopted by these two lovely people who were old enough to be my grandparents. They took one look at me, and they said, she can make $8.25 a day if she goes to work in the movies. Let's do it. Well, being very clever people, they said she's got to know more than just running in, uh, in um, Midsummer Night's Dream, where I played a fairy. That was my first movie at Warner Brothers. They said well, she's got to know more than that, so we're going to have to teach her how to tap dance, how to do all of these things. So for 18 years, I either went to school or I went to class or I did my homework. That was it. That was my time. It was great. It, I got to go places that you never even heard of. And I worked with the uh, our gang comedies. We have a little picture here. And <clears throat> let's see if any of you can see it. That's why we're sitting so close. I'm with Spanky and Darla and the whole group. Thank you. So I did pretty well there. I didn't um, embarrass myself too much, and I got uh, under contract to MGM, and I did some more movies. I doubled for Elizabeth Taylor. I did all kinds of wonderful things, but I fell in love with television. You know, when you go on on the stage, on a sound stage, do you have any idea... You go on, you're a little kid, you go on to this cold, damp place. You're there for eight hours, except out in the sunshine for one hour. You go to school for three hours. You wait, you talk in a seek, in a whisper the whole time until the director says, okay, quiet on the set. Then you don't talk at all. <laughs> then you come back and you whisper again all day long. This is what you do. It isn't really that much fun, except when I did Rosalie, the big, big musical at MGM. We got our own costumes. We all got our little shoes. We got everything. That was enough to keep me going. But I went into television, and the first thing was I had a five-year show uh, locally in Los Angeles called Tell a Teen Reporter. high school campuses he doesn't like me yelling we went out on the high school campuses and we found talent we brought the talent back we showed off the talent and I was one of the hosts does that sound like something we have today I think so we were wonderful then I did network with Charlie Ruggles I played the daughter on a network show called the Ruggles show for five years and I took just kept going, the Andy Griffith show, and then I did a major motion picture. So I can't bring you up today because we only have another 12 minutes. 
right? Are we going to see the video or not? Play the video. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to play the video? Guess which one? That's with Eddie Cantor. Some of you remember him. There I am with the three stooges, Mr. and Mrs. Highfalutin. I told you I could dance. Always worry about now whether I'm going to make it up on the table again. You can take take it down now if you like. Okay, so thank you. Okay, so that's what, what I do, sort of. It gives you a little idea, and these are just pictures and paintings that they were showing off on the end of this video for me. Now, I have done such a bad job on the technical end of this right here. I'm going to turn it back to you, and you're going to ask me questions. That works for me as long as my mic is working. Brennan, turn up the mic. Let's see. This one's on. They're on. They're green. Yep. That one's working now. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll try again. We're having fun. I don't know about you. <laughs> so um, there is a rumor. Yes. A, a possibility of a rumor that involves uh, Marilyn Monroe. Yes, yes. Why, why don't you give us a little info on that? Well, there was a rumor, as you saw, all the cute curves that she has that Mark Davis drew for her. Uh, I just go back to one thing. What I did for Tinkerbell was this. Mark Davis had drawn this incredible little character, and they were, uh, it was really a line drawing. They needed a third dimension. And that's what I did. I gave her the personality that they wanted. The first time I stepped out in front of the camera, I said, Mr. Davis, that's what we did in those days. I'm really carbon dating myself, but we called them Mr. and Miss. Mr. Davis, what would you like? Do you want her to be ditzy like Betty Boop? Or do you want her to be above it all like Queen of the Fairies? He said, Margaret, we want her to be you. And I said, gosh, golly, I think I can do that. And so that was the moment that Tinkerbell and I became an alter ego. On the side, before I answer your question, uh, 30 years later, I'm having lunch with Mark Davis and Alice, his wife, at Disneyland Club 33. And uh, he leaned over and he said, Margaret, you are still Tinkerbell after all these years. I said, Mark, I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me, except maybe, would it be convenient to come to work next Tuesday? (laughs) 
But I, you, did you ever notice that she's the only cartoon character that shows her underwear? Superman shows his underwear. Superman shows his underwear? I don't believe that. Not for a minute. I, I could okay. be wrong. But what I told Mark Davis, she shows her underwear. He says, you know what? Did you ever notice? They're always clean. Which <laughs> I think is nice. Marilyn Monroe. Anyway, the, the rumor came uh, that she was the reference model for Tinkerbell, which intuitively sounds right. But I will show you why she can't be. And can you hold this? Absolutely. And I think you can see the difference. It's a ballet dancer's walk. You roll the foot. Everything that you see with Tinkerbell, she does as a dancer. Marilyn was not dancing. I work with Marilyn. She's, uh, the picture that I took of her is in my book. She's absolutely lovely, charming, beautiful, couldn't take your eyes off of her. But she could not have done this role as well as I did. <laughs> Because she was not trained as a dancer. How are we, how are we set on time, Cher? Take your time. Okay. Um, I, you know, there was a cartoon that was on TV when I was a kid that I have to ask you about. Only because it was kind of spooky the way they did it. It was called Clutch Cargo. Clutch Cargo, yes. Um, I don't know if the audience remembers that, but it would be an animated head with real people's eyes and lips. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your time on there and how that was achieved? Well, we, uh, we were working at a project where we wanted to have a color animated TV show. And we couldn't get a network show, so we sold each station at a time, which means that you had to keep it really cheap. Well, the biggest, uh, the, one of the things that can eat up money in animation is doing the lips, is, is animating the lips. So we had a system where they were my lips for Spinner. Gee, what do we do now? Clutch the little boy. Oh, I was secret agent X. I was all these different uh, people with these voiceovers. And they would film our lips and uh, project it onto the character. And it's back, uh, Conan O'Brien is as in love with that. He uses it on his show quite a bit. But that was the beginning of the first show, TV uh, children's show, that um, showed color because they were making a Crusader Rabbit and all kinds of animal shows at the time. And it was the second one that changed the whole direction towards human beings. So I'm very proud to do it. It looks a little bit like anime, Still, you know how they do that. So I don't apologize for it anymore. I don't think there's any reason to apologize for it at all. And I did get to doing that from Disney because I was also the red-headed mermaid in the lagoon. And I did all of the acting for her. But for her, I did voiceovers. And one of the voices, maybe you remember it if you've watched it, take, uh, a Peter Pan, and where she says, Peter, we just wanted to drown her. And we went and did the, all of this acting. And I went, you know, that's so much easier than getting in front of the camera. Uh, so I, I changed over to voiceovers. I speak about 21 different dialects and have about 48 different voices. 
I have worked with, you remember Hal Smith? He was the drunk, Otis Campbell on the Andy Griffith Show. Hal was a very dear friend of mine, and we used to stand across the microphone and change characters. And here is, we learned dialects. And I know that they're not popular anymore. Can I have a moment to talk about dialects? Absolutely. Okay. I love dialects, and here's how you learned them. Way back when, I was standing in front of, and I get to my script, and it says, I'm supposed to speak in a German accent. And I say to Hal Smith, I don't remember a German accent. He says, you come over here in the corner and talk to me, and we will get the German accent for you. So I said, well, he says, you get the, the sentence. You get the sentence. You, you know, I was looking out the window. I marched back, and I'm doing a German accent. A couple of weeks later, he had to do a Jewish accent. But if you're working in in voiceovers, you find out a Jewish accent could slide into a southern accent. He said, I don't remember how. So I called him over. I said, so what you do is you put the voice way up here, and you tuck it up, and you change all the vowels, what you are using, and you use a lot of phlegm. (laughs) And he went back and did a German accent. And along with that... uh, I found my family after 50 years. There's a story in the book about it. I'm a Scots-Irishman, it turns out, and I was using this for a, um, um, a different voice for a long, long time on stage, and I want to tell you that it was sort of a precursor of finding my family because this is the story that I used to tell at parties and so on. And I I don't know if any of you are Irish around here. Are any of you Irish? Oh, come on. Everybody's an Irishman. I love it. I love it. Well, this is a story about they're over in a pub, and they're talking about diversity, whether diversity is a good thing, you know. And one says, I don't know. He says, if I had been born an Italian, I don't know. And the other one says, you would have loved it. All the females would have been all around you for Italian. They said, but let's go over and ask Paddy what he thinks. And Paddy's standing over in the corner, and they walk over and say, Paddy. He says, what is it? He says, what would you be if you weren't Irish? Paddy says, I'd be ashamed. (laughs) So I did all of these voices. Absolutely love it. I still do. I still work on radio. I do about 10 commercials a year. Uh, and I was on radio for about uh, 12 years in, in Los Angeles. And that brings me to voices. And if, I wonder if I could prevail upon you to let me do something for the audience with a voice. All right? I need a microphone that really puts a stand. And this is from the chapter, Come Away From Me with me. This is the unabridged. All right? James M. Barry wrote this in 1916, years after he wrote the play. That's important for you to remember. For a moment, after Mr. and Mrs. Darling left the house, the nightlights by the beds of the three children continued burning clearly. But... 
There was another light in the room now, a thousand times brighter than the nightlight. And in the time we have taken to say this, it has been in all the drawers in the nursery, looking for Peter's shadow, rummaging through the wardrobe, turning every pocket inside out. It was not really a light, but it made the light by flashing about so quickly. But when it came to rest for a second, you saw it was a fairy, a girl called Tinkerbell, exquisitely gowned in a skeletal leaf cut low and square through which her figure could be seen to best advantage. A moment later, after the fairy's entrance, the windows blew open by the breathing of the little stars and Peter Pan came in. Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell, called softly, making sure that all the children were asleep. Tink, where are you? She was in a drug, just for the moment, and she liked it very, very much. She had never been in a drug before. Oh, do come out of that jug and tell me, do you know where my shadow is? The loveliest tinkle as of golden bells answered him. It is the fairy language. Tink said that the shadow was in the big box. She meant, of course, it was in the dresser drawer. And Peter jumped at it and tore everything apart until he found his shadow and he sat down to put it on. If he thought, and I'm sure he never thought at all, he thought that if the shadow and himself came together, they would come together like a drop of water. But when they did not, he was appalled. He tried to stick it on with soap from the bathroom, but that also failed. A shudder passed through Peter, and he sat on the floor and sobbed. His sobs were awoke Wendy. Boy, why are you sitting on the floor crying? Now, Peter was very, very exceedingly polite, and so he he bowed beautifully. What's your name? Wendy Moira Angelus Dolly, she replied with some satisfaction. And what is your name? Peter Pan. She, but uh, is that all? Well, well, yes. Uh, yeah. Oh. I'm really so sorry. Oh, it doesn't matter. She asked where he lived. Someone, well, over, well, it's really second start of the ride and then on till morning. Oh, what a strange address. Well, he sat on the end of the bed when she asked him the question, How old are you, Peter? Uh, Wendy, I don't know how old I am. I, I, I can't help it. I ran away the day I was born. I heard my mother and father talking about, about growing up and being a man, and I don't ever want to be a man. And so I ran away to Kensington Gardens and stayed with the fairies. <gasps> Peter? Peter? Do you mean you know fairies? Well, yeah, 
Yeah, Tinkerbell was... Oh, oh, I locked Tinkerbell up in the drawer. Let's let her out. (laughs) And Tinkerbell came... Oh, you shouldn't say that. I'm sorry I locked you in the drawer, Tink. Oh, oh, Peter, Peter, there's there's a fairy in my room. Oh, 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 if she could only stand still. Oh, they hardly ever stand still. But just for the moment, the dear creature stopped on the cuckoo clock. Oh, the lovely, said Wendy. Oh. Hey, Tink, this lady wants you to be her, 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 her fairy. You can't be her fairy. You're my, you can't be my fairy because I'm a gentleman and you're a lady and you can't do that. What does she say, Peter? What does she say? Oh. She says, and the voice was heard as she left the room as Tinkerbell flew to the other room. Oh, you silly ass. Ladies and gentlemen, Margaret Carey. Hey guys, Jeremy here at the Tracy Comic Con. I am uh, sitting down with Steve Cardenas and Karen Ashley, who are uh, also known as Rocky and Aisha from the Power Rangers. How you guys doing? Good, good. How are you? Really good. It's a little warm in here, but otherwise I'm okay. Right, thanks for having us. Yeah, well, thank you for stopping by. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, as I understand it, you guys... Uh, I think you have been involved with Tracy Con before in some of its fundraising. Am I correct in saying that? No, huh? This is my first time too. Wow, then I'm way off on that one. That's okay. <laughs> so, how'd you, well, how'd you guys get involved then? Um, I believe uh, Morgan uh, reached out to us. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're coordinators here, and um, she reached out to us and asked us if we'd be part of it. She explained the whole thing, and you know, we just thought, why not? Good old oh, social yeah. media. Yeah, yeah. She absolutely. got in touch with us, and, and here we are. Okay. Yeah. We're happy so to be here. One question I'd I'd have to ask somebody from the, uh, the Power Rangers is what kind of martial arts background do you have to have to be a Power Ranger? Right. Well, it's not a prerequisite, you know, um, but, you know, they, they it definitely helped your chances, you know, I think if yes. you had, what they were looking for specifically when I heard about the audition on the radio when I when I auditioned for Rangers was they were looking for people that neither knew martial arts and gymnastics and or hip-hop dancing. Okay. Right. So I was a martial artist and a gymnast and Karen was a professional dancer. So okay. Yeah. She's a musician and, and everything so yeah. and all that stuff like that so she's done it all. <laughs> you have to be active basically. Yeah. So, but when we did go, like he said, it wasn't a prerequisite but it did help because when I went back to the callback, they were like, can you add some kicks? Can you add some punches? Because they just wanted to make sure you could handle the physicality of the part. Right. Well, yeah, so, I'm sure, first off, it'd be exhausting just to pretend like you're fighting all the time. Right. <laughs> Secondly, you got to look a little bit coordinated to exactly. do it. Exactly. Yeah. Learning the choreography was the hardest part. But once you got it down, it was, like, yeah. easy. Well, yeah. you know, Bruce Lee, I think, had a couple quotes out where he said that he could take anybody who knew how to dance and teach them how to how to be a great fighter. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, Steve, what, um, what was your martial arts background? Uh, taekwondo. Okay. Uh, I have a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo. I've been doing cow. that for almost 30 years now. He can and, kill us, uh, basically. Well, yeah. And then also for the past like 14 <laughs> years or so, I've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. Okay, so you got a nice standing game and ground fighting game then. Okay. He's like an amazing instructor. He can teach you anything. Uh, so are you teaching? Is I've that... been teaching my whole life. I've been teaching since I was 14 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, so I've that... owned martial arts studios for years and stuff like that as well, too. So. And then I have to assume with, with both fighting styles, are you do 
any MMA or is it just no, okay. not really. No, well, it just sounds like a background that would yeah, lend itself. It, it, it would, just you know, street fights for this one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back just alley brawls, putty troll fighting aliens it's, on the show. It's like sheer willpower alone. He's not punching somebody right now. <laughs> right, yeah. he's gonna go kick somebody's butt in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> he's so, my um, bodyguard. How long? I, I don't yeah, think you'd find a better is young. one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how long have you guys been involved with the Power Rangers? Oh my gosh, we're going on 23 years of wow. being. The series has been around for 23 years. Yeah. We got on the show 22 years. Yeah, 94, 22 years ago. So we're super excited, and um, it just keeps going. Like yeah. the minute we think it's going to be over, something new comes out, a new season, and it, it's just going. And it, the funny thing, it's going strong. Yeah. More people know about it, and it was like ever since it came out on Netflix, it was like a new lease on life because now our demographic has totally changed. All the people who were watching it when we were kids, they're now adults and their kids are watching. Right. So well, it's like it just never ends. Our oldest son has a child and he was a Power Rangers uh-huh. fan and yeah, so. And they all start yeah. them off from the beginning and take them all the way through to the yeah. present yeah. day. So, Matter of fact, we actually have a friend in Canada who has a Power Rangers podcast where he goes through episode by episode and does nice. a commentary track. See, it's like the fans. Yeah. I mean, we have to honestly give so it up. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we got to give it up to the fans. They're the ones who who have been the heart and soul of this yeah. franchise. Well, um, so you had a, a fan join us at the table here, and I'm sorry, what was your name? Andrew. Andrew. Andrew's in the house. So <laughs> Andrew's a Power Rangers fan. Did you have a question for uh, Steve and Karen? Uh, <laughs> it's okay if you don't. Um. I see, yeah, if you want I to think see about that it. you weren't the Transaurus Yes. Because I know this is. Why not? Power animal. Oh, right. Your power animal. What was your favorite sword? What was your favorite ranger? Uh, the original red. Original red. I love it. That works. <laughs> Mighty, Mighty Morphin or nothing, right? Yeah. That's right. Mighty Morphin. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Um, and thank you guys for taking the time to sit here. It's, it's actually kind of cool to have people just kind of listen as we do yeah. this. I've never actually done never that had anybody listen yeah. live. Yeah. Well, you know, from the first month I did this, I was like, well, nobody listens. I can use the F-bombs or whatever yeah, right. I want. And then about a month later, I was like, oh, I can't do that. Uh-oh. I got little kids listening Uh-oh. now. So, um, so you guys are doing the convention thing. And then I guess the big news with Power Rangers is there's a full-scale Hollywood film coming Yes. Out. Well, yeah. we had a full-scale Hollywood film back in 95 that was done by 20th Century Fox. That's it was right. like a $40 million. Budget, yeah, it was big. No, yeah, yeah. Right. that's the one we were, we were in. in. And uh, and but yeah, now they're rebooting it, and bringing it back, and um, yeah, Lionsgate's doing it now. Okay, so yeah, so it should be cool. cool. Hopefully, yeah. it's a cross between like Power Rangers and like Hunger, the Hunger Games. Games or something. Yeah, well, the, um, <laughs> the artwork does really is, good. I mean, not the artwork, but the visuals I've seen, yeah. uh, they're really kind of cutting edge and yes. stylized. Look really cool. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, so, what are you guys up to these days? Man, we're working on a new project. We actually are doing our own film. Oh, yeah. uh, we have a new project called The Order, okay. where 20 former Power Rangers, along with a bunch of other um, alum from Star Trek, from Star Wars, are all coming together to do this really cool film. So, yeah. So, The Order, we're going to start filming at the um, end of January. Who's, okay, hold on here. Who, who's uh, producing that one? Actually, this, my company's producing. You're, okay. Yes. 
um, cash pictures. Um, but it's I, I we came up with this idea of you know why don't we do a movie together? Everyone's so hugely talented, and everyone's gone on and done other acting work and other stuff. And I just was like, you know, we've done Power Rangers. Let's do something a little different. We'll keep the action because the fans love it, and obviously they love seeing us together. But yeah. this movie is it's much darker. It's definitely you know more modern yeah, day. Are you are you both involved in no, this? We're all, yeah, well, we're tell me a little bit about that because yeah, you know what? I'm going to watch you guys back on and we'll do a whole episode about yeah. it. Yeah. Think about like the Expendables meets Divergent kind of. Thing. Okay. That's what we're looking at. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But there's 20 former Power Rangers who signed on to do it. Nick Gillard just signed on to direct, and he's you know directed on uh, Star Wars Episode One, Two, and Three. Okay. He did a lot of the second unit directing there, so we've got a, a legend directing the movie. And we're just super excited. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, make sure you take one of my cards. Yes, for um, sure. This is something I'd like to learn a little bit more about. I know we're yeah. only doing a you few minutes You can actually here. Uh, go to uh, www.d-order-movie.com and see the trailer and stuff. Okay. If you want to play it right now, you can do it. Uh, I could, except oh, yeah. I wouldn't be able to actually be able to pipe this in. Oh, no worries. Too, but yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll do that here in a minute. Um, okay, cool. That actually sounds pretty awesome. Anything else? How can people follow you on social media? You can follow me at uh, Karen Ashley or at official Karen Ashley. Okay. Make sure it's K-A-R-A-N. Yes. Not K-A-R-E-N. No Karen. E's. All A's. Karen <laughs> uh, And uh, mine is uh, Steve Cardenas PR on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you very much for coming by. Thank you. Yeah, I really do appreciate it. It was nice talking to you. Thank you. you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Pleasure. Pleasure. Um, so we got the uh, next panel starting up. I'm Jeremy from GeekishCast.com. And I'm going to introduce from Caprica Continuum and Kyle XY, Magda Apinovich. Oh, there you go. You can take that. Because that was like a really long stage thing. But hi, guys. How's your uh, con going? Woo! We got one wooer. We got one make, person make happy. A, make a little more noise. <laughs> come on, come on. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> So let me ask you this. You've been in TV, multiple shows that we've seen. Oh, when did you get bit by the acting bug, and what was the first show you were on? Um, well, I always loved watching movies with my older brother. Like That was the way that we uh, bonded. Um, and actually, one of the first movies that got me really obsessed with acting, and it was kind of even before I understood that normal people could do it, uh, was around 11, 12, Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith movies, um, ones that just were like, what is happening? Um, and as I got older, I appreciated it even more because I understood what was happening. Um, but then around 15, I actually finally got in and uh, found out all the steps and did all the steps and somehow lucked out and kept getting hired. And, and then it kind of grew. Wow, that cartwheel made me like winded. <laughs> so I apologize if I'm breathing heavily. What was your first uh, major role that you landed? Um, hmm. I, w I mean, I wouldn't say it's major, but I think the first, like, really big, long one was this Canadian series I did called RenegadePress.com. It, it's, it's a teen zine. We've seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, like, five seasons. It was, yeah. like, a really first time to really understand what it's like to, to not just come as a guest star or a little bit, bit on a show, but, like, have the responsibility of every single day uh, for, like, six months. You know what I mean? Right. Actually, one of our favorite guests, Lauren Cardinal, was on. Yeah. yeah we, we've interviewed him before. so He's great. That's pretty awesome. I think he directed a couple episodes. 
Yes, for sure. he did. Yes, yeah. he did. Of course, we're getting a little too nerdy because we're the only Americans in the room that have seen the show. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then the first like really big thing that was popular was Kyle XY. Um, and that show actually, I didn't know at the time. Thank you. <laughs> and that show, when I, I didn't know when I got cast in it. Actually, okay, so I got the breakdown and it said like a girl that talks with her hands and is like... It was the way that it described. I literally tur- turned to my boyfriend. I was like, dude, like, this is me. And he's like, cool, then go do that and get the job. And like, I went in and I totally did this whole monologue like Andy. And then uh, they asked me to come in for a callback. And I was like, but I, I just did it for you. And apparently it was because like, they didn't believe I could do it a second time. Um, and then what we found out later is that that character actually was based off of me. And I had never known the creator and writer of that show had created the show, and my character was originally named Magda. And they changed it last minute before the sto- sto- uh, this show started, and they named her Andy. They made you read for your own role? Yeah, they didn't know, because the, the creators of the show had left by season two. So it was just these writers, and they just thought it was like a weird coincidence that originally this character was named Magda, and this actress is named Magda. This is weird. But then, yeah, the actual creator of the show like was around, and he was like, that, that's the girl it was about. That's cool. So then, uh, Continuum, how did you find out, or what was involved in getting that role, and also as a Canadian actress, how cool was it to act on a show that was so Canadian? I know, that's so awesome. Uh, Continuum, apparently... The, the people from Continuum had reached out to my agents in Los Angeles, and they, those people never told me that they reached out. They just immediately said no to Continuum and said, nope, she's not doing a Canadian show. They never told me about it, which is not cool. You don't do that. Um, and then I, I heard about the show, and I wrote my Vancouver agent, and I was like, dude, I don't care. Guest star reoccurring. I just want to be on the show. And they're like, yeah, uh, we kind of wanted you on the show, too. So I auditioned for, for Emily, and they, they were like, here you go. And like, I, had wor- I found out that one of the producers was, had worked with me on Kyle XY. So th- I, I was like in his mind for it. You get that a lot then, don't you? Kind of roles created for well, you? Well, no, I mean, it, yeah, I guess so. But it was just really weird. Like, with... with um, with Kyle XY, it was because when I was 16, I did a like one small tiny scene in the butterfly effect. Um, they're like not even a close up, but I spent like three days on set. And this director, he was so nice, and I was so naive, and I kind of was just like, he gave me his n- number, and I would call him on the payphone from high school, and I'd be like, "When's the movie coming out?" And he's like, "I'm sorry, it's like in delay. It's coming. It was like it took two years to come out." Did you say payphone? Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you indeed a time traveler? Yeah, I am definitely a time traveler. I didn't have a cell phone until I was about 22. Like, I refused to get one. I was so against it. Yeah. Um, so what do you got going on these days? Um, honestly, I'm just going to go to Vancouver. I haven't seen my mom in a long time, so I'm just going to be super lame. And there's, like, a bunch of shows going on over there. I'm going to try to get on one of those. There's, like, half everything shot in Hollywood now is up there. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've gone, and that's another thing. Like I've auditioned so many times in Los Angeles, just to go back to Vancouver and shoot something. I'm like, oh, you, you still have a Vancouver driver's license, then? Yes. Yeah, you yeah. have to have that to act up there, don't you? Yeah, it's yeah. It's kind of weird. It is really weird. 
I'm Canadian. Shouldn't that count? Yeah. Um, so is there a role that really jumps out that you, before you uh, call it quits and give up acting and become a zookeeper or something, is there a mm-hmm. role that you I really want, want to sloth. do? <laughs> um, you know, I, we didn't get to see it when they first brought it in. Oh, I want to see it. Um, I, people ask me that. Um, I really don't know. I just want anything that like is different and new to me and challenges me. Um, one thing I loved about Continuum is that I got to be a badass, and I wouldn't mind continuing to do that um, and fight, especially as long as I'm kind of still young and I fit. I'd like to do that. <laughs> um, but I, anything that is just different than what I've done that challenges me. I also really have loved um, working on shows that talk about what's going on in the world today. So I'm always a fan of that. But I'm also not mad at romantic comedies. I'd like to try that. So you're open to anything as long as yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. I actually really, really want to do more comedy, but I've had a lot of struggle with the door of convincing them, like, I can be funny. And, you know, people... Are... Do you know a good joke? No. no. I'm more, like, situationally <laughs> funny. Like, something will happen, and I say something, and people laugh. Um, I also feel like sometimes I have good timing. But, you know, I've done so much drama in my life that the casting directors in Los Angeles, they're just like, no, we've never seen her do a half hour. I'm like, well, you haven't seen me because you don't let me audition for one. So how can you see me? It's a catch-22 industry. Yeah, you can't act in a comedy until you've acted in a comedy. Yeah, Yeah. so weird. So right now, um, my wife and I actually speak to quite a few Canadian uh, filmmakers and actors. We have noticed that there are a lot of web shows that are being produced and made and with the possibility of CTV or somebody yeah. picking them up. Have you ever considered creating something for yourself? Yeah, I have. Um, I don't think I've really found the concept that's right for me for TV, but I've, like, I've written my, my first feature. There's other movies I'd like to do, but of course like movies are almost dead at this point. It's so difficult to make one. Like, you, you need famous people to even get like a little bit of funding and then you're not guaranteed distribution so web series is a big place to to kind of look towards i just haven't found that right thing that i want i mean do you you do right though i do yeah and i i think i want to try and figure out comedy or something i don't know to just be able to highlight something different yeah. But yeah, I'm literally open to anything. I audition for web series and for all that kind of stuff, and I'm I don't I think every media is valid. So these days, with you know things like you know harder, it's harder to get the money to make a movie. It's harder to get your seen when you do. But the ways people can find you, there's a lot more now. There's YouTube. You can yeah. get a movie onto. Amazon. So that fly that hates fly me. That fly is really all over you. I'm going to take a shower later. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> so do you think, I mean, where are we headed with this kind of like as a market now that it's harder to get the money, but there's more ways to get the word out? Yeah. Is that better? I mean, what are your feelings about that? Ah, it's hard to say. Like, I love that people have a platform to say something. My, my, my only problem is that sometimes it just turns into a bunch of noise. Like, I do miss the days where... You know, back in the day when a movie got made or a TV show got made, there was guaranteed distribution. And so, you know, there was fewer movies and pretty much everyone has seen them. Um, it also makes it really difficult to, to find the good things because they're lost in the sea of everything. So I'm not against it, but it is uh, it has made acting for me more difficult because it's harder to, like, get somewhere because it's all just kind of... Well, yeah, it's a little more democratized, but now there's a lot more in there to try to be found in the middle of, yeah. 
Yeah, but um, it, then I get, I get worried it's more about this, like, shock factor, and you're supposed to do all these things to, like, get all these views, and I don't know. I also don't really quite like that. I don't feel like you should have to, I don't know, do some weird stuff on the Internet to get people to follow you. Yeah, that seems but, fair. Yeah, yeah, I can like, understand that. Unless that's really where your heart is, okay, go for it. But yeah. So your show Continuum... We're, we're going to wrap up here in just a segment. I do have a question about your show, Continuum. It was kind of novel in that it was a time travel show, mm-hmm. but it kind of also was just a superhero show. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, how did you feel about making that particular show? Because you were on there for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved it. Like, personally, I remember them telling me that uh, the guy who ended up being, like, I was his love interest. He had had, they had had a hard time, like, finding chemistry, but like girls to, to read with him and to have the right chemistry. And I was just like, how can you not have chemistry with Eric Knudsen? He's like one of my favorite actors I've ever worked with. He's so smart. He's so talented. Um, that show was a pleasure every single day. All the actors on it like loved coming to work. And I've worked on so many different kinds of movie sets and TV shows. And some people just like think they're too cool for school and they've got the keys to the kingdom, but they're like just not caring or respecting that they do have the keys to the kingdom. And this show, like, every single person cared about what they were doing, and it mattered. Sounds like a great work environment. Yeah, it was really, it was sad when it ended. Yeah. Well, Magda, thank you very much. Thank you guys for coming and listening. Everybody give it up for Magda Magda Afanovich. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, Jeremy. Good luck with the sloth. I'm probably going to stay and watch. All right, guys, so we got the crew from... Algorithm Comics up here in their new book, Quasar Soldiers. I'm going to have them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about what they're working on, starting with Gideon. Um, hello, my name is Gideon Igbuchalam. I am the founder and uh, the artist and writer for uh, Algorithm Comics. I'm joined here with my team, and they're pretty awesome. Hello, my name is Allison Pitts. I am the concept artist for Algorithm Comics, and yeah. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Rosalie Stanson, or just Rosie. Um, I'm the newest member. I've been working with Algorithm Comics for a couple months, and I mostly do the coloring and a little bit of line work. Hello, my name is Adam Garcia. I'm the writer for Algorithm Comics and Quasar Soldiers. (laughs) Um, I've always loved to read and write, and when Gideon introduced me to the team, it was just another opportunity that I was so grateful to have, and I enjoy writing with him. (laughs) Hi, my name is Fernando Rockchild. I'm uh, also a, another concept artist for the group. Uh, I've been drawing probably longer than most, but uh, I'm the unsung father of the group. All right, so you guys are all like local to the Valley or the East Bay, that sort of area, except you who is actually from the Bay. So how did you guys all get together to work on this comic? And Well, you know, let's start here first. Tell us about Quasar Soldiers, and then I'll ask how you guys met. Sure, sure. Well, you know, Quasar Soldiers is a, how can I describe it? It's a folktale. You know, it's based on Nigerian stories. You know, my family's from Nigeria. And it's kind of a mix of that and science fiction, like Flash Gordon and Johnny Quest. And I kind of wanted to bring all of that together. So that's sort of what Quasar Soldier is in a, in a nutshell. Um, it follows the tale, you know, of a, a kite. You know, she's a Meta Knight, which is like a protector of her world. You know, the world sits at the very edge of the universe. And since they're so close at the edge of the universe, uh, time and space has no concert with one another. So they're able to do amazing things, such as controlling the quasars, which are these sentient beings that uh, 
toward the universe for eons. But, you know, their origin is a bit murky, so. Okay. So now you are the original Gideon or the original yes. creator of this idea and the original artist as well. Yes. So how do you go from I've got an idea to actually producing a comic? Um, hardship. <laughs> um, I crushed my foot um, when I was trying out for soccer and, uh, you know, I was like, wow. So your, your soccer career was at an inch? Like, yeah, I, I was just like, wow, this really, really sucks. And uh, I spent a lot of time home and I started contemplating, like, what do I want to do with my life? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what do I have? You know, and it's just like the story and I was like, I need to, I need to do this, you know. It just happened, you know. Yeah, just okay. spiritual. So, Allison, how did how did you get involved? Um, um, uh, we met at school. We were to. Uh, I'm currently still at Las Pasillas College in Livermore, but we met in a very unconventional way. We met at not an art studio, but at a science in our science class. We were studying anthropology, and he would creepily sit right behind me, and I would I would just like sketch. You know, during not during class, but before class, and um, he kind of like went over my shoulder, and then finally, eventually, he came up to me. He was like, "Hey, I like what you're do- doing. Um, I'm doing this comic book. Would you like to do some sketches for me? Just give you, you know, help me or him, give him ideas." And I said, "Sure. You know, just you know, send me some photos and stuff." And then I just showed him what I had, and he was happy with and it. And you're primarily doing the concept art and. Design. Yeah, the design, um, character design. We worked very heavily with Kite, uh, and right now he's making me do like more scenery, environment stuff. So we are creating a world out of nothing, basically, and that's now my job. So. Cool, Rosalie. Yeah. So now you're doing the colors of the book and the covers, I assume. Uh, the pages inside. Okay. Yeah. Now, how did you get involved in this? Same way, uh, really unconventionally. Uh, I've only been working with the group for a couple months. Um, uh, I'm a recent graduate uh, from Academy of Art, and um, I took a break, and I was kind of feeling, you know, like I needed to get back into the scene. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> um, and uh, I was at work, and... Um, Gideon came into my work, which is, it's a coffee shop, so I had some time to chat and figured out that we both had the same passion. I was like, oh my god, you, you're doing what, like, my dream is. So I gave him my portfolio, and he got right back to me, which I was surprised about, and I was like, yeah, let's, let's work on this. I'm really enthusiastic. I love the idea. I love everything. So, so. you're an artist working at a coffee shop, so you're really blazing new trails. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... It's a path a lot of artists go down. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was your name again? Adam. Adam, mm-hmm. how did you get involved and what is your role? It's a funny story. Okay, so I'm uh, the writer for Quasar Soldiers. And me and Gideon, Gideon actually met because we were old co-workers at Save Mart. And he would always be in the break room just uh, drawing sketches and everything. He would show everybody. And one day he like laid out a whole story for me with just a couple sketches. And I was like, okay, I'm hooked. Uh, let's get, like when is this coming out? And then he said, "Well, it's still a work in progress." And then Gideon like broke his foot or something. And then I thought he was dead. I didn't see him for a couple months. And then I still worked at Save Mart. He didn't work there anymore. And he came in, and I was like, "Hey, dude, remember when you told me about that story? Well, I've been thinking about a story that I want to write too." And 
I told him everything about it, and he's like, hey, look, Adam, would you want to be a writer for something I'm working on? And I'm like, yeah, that would be amazing. So he introduced me to Allison and the rest of the team, and we kind of just hit it off from there. And we've been working on the story ever since, and I've loved writing it. It's amazing. Fernando, how about you? Where do you fit in? Well, uh, I got introduced to the group through Allison. Me and Allison were taking classes together. I just graduated from Los Pasitos with my associates. So, um, yeah, we were uh, taking classes, and she was, you know, on her downtime from whatever we're doing in class, she would be sketching stuff for the comic book. And I was like, oh, that's pretty tight. That looks cool. Well, you know, it's like, and then, you know, she'd ask me, you know, if things looked right. I'm like, yeah, that looks good. You know, you could do this. You know, that reminds me of that and, you know, how things worked or stuff like that as well. Well, maybe he could make him look more like this or like that, you know, with character ideas because they're working on, uh, she was working on Kite and also designs for a character named Crow at that time. And I was just like, oh, you can make him look not so human. That would be better, you know, if we're not in our universe anymore, technically. So make him look not He's so human. He's kind of a sounding board and a idea guy. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like it's always that. nice to have somebody you can share yeah, yeah work in progress with. So um, I'm going to grab the mic for you and bring it back to Gideon here. Um, what stage is the comic at, and where can people find you if they want to learn more? Sure. Um, well, right now, uh, issue one is currently being colored in ink and lettered. Um, it's almost there. You know, we recently got the, some help from some amazing artists um, to help kind of flesh out, you know, the, the vision um, what we're trying to do here, uh, you can find us um, on Instagram uh, at, at algorithm underscore comics or on Twitter just by typing algorithm comics. And um, you can also email us, you know, at algorithm.comics at gmail.com. Uh, we're hoping to uh, get published hopefully by this year so that people can enjoy the book and um, see uh, Kai's story, you know, and Pilot, who is the well, goat-looking Let me, I'm going to you know, break your chain of thought. Oh, there. no, sure, sure. So are you bringing this, are you shopping publishers now? Are you considering self-publishing? What are you doing? Well, you know, we we were trying we were trying to do a Kickstarter. We did a Kickstarter earlier this year, and it was kind of, you know, it was all right, you know. So we decided, you know what, let's just go straight to the publishers, you know. I think that's a lot um, easier, you know, and uh, just economic. And also, too, I think the story, it deserves, you know, you know, a legit publisher. So, you know, the most people can read it. And to stuff. get around. Get around, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, guys, we're going to be running out of time here, so thank you guys for coming up. Thank, thank you. Thank you for telling us about your book. Everybody in here, if you haven't done so, go check them out. They're right there with the uh, pink background, Algorithm Comics. Everybody, thanks a lot. Let's hear it for them. Thank you. All right, guys, so thank you for listening to that. Um, you'll notice at the uh, the end of Margaret Carey's piece, she reads from the Peter Pan book. This, before this show, I really did, couldn't have cared less about Peter Pan or Tinkerbell or any of that. That's girl stuff. You know, I'm into Star Wars and shit like that. So 
on the second day after I hosted the second panel with Margaret Carey, who was just an amazing woman, but I ran outside to take care of some business, came in, and somebody handed me the copy of Peter Pan that she had read on stage. And she had stuck in an autographed photograph of herself and had personalized and signed the book to me. Um, I'm now a fan for life. That's, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, but if you tell anybody I like Peter Pan, I punch you in the throat. So let's just keep that between us. So, long and short of it, Tracy Comic Con seemed to be a pretty good success. Um, you know, it was put on by a brother and two sisters raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, yeah, what else can I say about it? I liked it. I would do it again. So, everybody, that's episode 114, and uh, I will see you soon. Now, Rain of Zeus is going to play us out. Geekish Cast theme music is taken from Out to Get Mine by Rain of Zeus. Check them out at rainofzeus.net. website at geekishcast.com. Geekishcast is a B as Vicar production, and all original content is copyright 2016. If you got a thought or a comment or think you or somebody you know would be a good guest for Geekishcast, please feel free to reach out and contact me. You can email me, thegeekishcast at gmail.com, or jeremy at thegeekishcast, or you can even phone me at 209-232-6001.